we asked. You voted for the most binge-worthy stories of all time. Go and sin no more. Unfaithful, a love story. Sieged. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Again, another good morning. Welcome to everybody. And I want to share something before we dig into the scriptures. Last night, uh, Hearts and Hope ended up having to change their plans for how their live action auction was going to happen. And of course, live auction is a major fundraiser for Hearts and Hope. And the mission work that they do in Uganda, the mission work that we partner with them to do in Uganda. And so they reached out to their church friends and, and said to these different churches around the country, could you guys host many home online gatherings so that we could do this live auction in a way that's socially distanced, in a way that's responsible and safe? And so a number of us here at Messiah, we gathered for these, these at home uh, so we could plug in and we could watch the live auction. And Going into all this, we, we were all pretty worried, and we had a lot of prayers out there just, just hoping that God would still bless this, because COVID times have been hard times to raise money, and we just worried about that impact, and they set a goal to raise $100,000, and I want you to know that as of last night, they reached that goal. It's a blessing. And it, if you have followed them at all on their website or, or through social media, you'll know that the kids in Uganda were going without food. Families were going without food. And because of the sponsorships, because of people that donated uh, uh, last night, we're going to make sure that that continues, that that giving continues so that the kids can have everything that they need. And of course, the schools that, that are being started over there, we're just so proud of all that. And just a special shout out to our friends, to Andy Wiggins and Todd Larkin, the guys that started Hearts and Hope. Man. It's a, it's a major blessing to be in partnership with that. And this, uh, this Sunday is about love. And so for, for whatever reason, was we put out our binge-worthy topics, this is the love story that you picked. And, and that's what I, I love about Hearts and Hope is it's a ministry of love. So let's dig into Hosea chapter 3. We're going to start there uh, in the middle of the book. And hopefully these five verses just kind of give you a little bit of an overview of everything that Hosea is going through. It says, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves Israel. Though they have turned to other gods and loved the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever read the rest of Hosea's story, and that's what we're getting in today, but, but I want to start by kind of giving you an overview of the Old Testament. Because even if you grew up in the church, it's, it's likely sometimes you don't even know necessarily why our Bibles are organized the way that they are. So if you turn into the beginning of your Old Testament and look at the table of contents, you'll see a list of books. And in this list of books, it starts with the first five books, and this is kind of the way your English Bibles are organized. There's other ways to organize it, but this is the way your English Bibles are organized. The first five books are called the books of Moses, sometimes called the Torah or the Pentateuch, Pentateuch meaning five. And this is a story of creation, as well as the ancient fathers of the church like Abraham. And then the last four books are the story of Moses leading God's people out of Egypt and to becoming a nation. And so that's the first five books. The next set of books are the history books. And the history books tell you what happened once they became a nation and about the different kings that led them and then their eventual downfall underneath these kings. The next five books after the history books are the poetry books. It includes Psalms and Proverbs that have books of poetry and wisdom, and Psalms in particular is really the hymn book, the hymnal of the Jewish people. It's where they find their, their different songs that they sing to, to the Lord, their praise songs, as well as their lamenting songs. And, and then, of course, much of the different liturgy and poetry that they would use in worship. The, next, the last section of the Bible is the prophets, and they're broken up into the five major prophets and the 12 minor prophets. Now, they're not called major prophets because they're necessarily more important, but because they're longer. Like the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. But those last 12 prophets are called the minor prophets, and that's where Hosea is. Hosea is one of the minor prophets, not because he's less important. In fact, the, the teaching that he gives us about the heart of God is so vital for our faith. And so if you just find yourself like looking through your Bible and kind of wondering how this is all organized, my worry is sometimes we say, well, I want to read the Bible this year. So we go to Genesis, and we read Genesis, and we read Exodus, and we get to Leviticus, and it's like, this is getting kind of hard. Getting kind of hard to understand, getting kind of hard, and, and we never even get to some of these prophets. And so my hope today is that if you've never really heard the story of Hosea or didn't understand it, that not only would you understand it, but that you will remember it the rest of your life, and that you'll see a little bit about the heart of God that maybe, maybe you didn't understand before. So this is how it starts. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, this is the first line. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, because it starts by naming the kings, we can almost very accurately date when Hosea's ministry was, right around the mid 8th century BC. And it's also describing that at this point, the kingdom, God's people, were already divided. See, during King Saul and King David and King Solomon, they were one nation. But unfortunately, after that point, there was a split in God's people, and they became known as the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, or Israel and Judah. And it mentions the different kings of the, of the southern kingdom and the, and, and the king of Israel. And that last name I really want you to pay attention to, Jeroboam. King Jeroboam reigned for a long time. Jeroboam II 
was ruling that northern kingdom. And Hosea was prophesying during his ministry. In fact, Hosea's ministry lasted longer than almost any of the other prophets. It lasted 60 years. Can you imagine getting your calling and you're doing that job for 60 years straight? And the problem with Jeroboam, the reason Hosea is there preaching, is because he allowed idol worship to run amok in the nation. Idol worship was rampant. It opened the doorway for the Israelites to moral depravity, to cheat, to lie, to steal. And in fact, murder became a pretty consistent problem at that time. And so Hosea knew he was called to preach against that. Now, the problem with idol worship, you hear about idol worship or other religions, and sometimes what you have to realize is it's not just like choosing a different religion or a different way of thinking. Baal worship in particular, Baal worship, which Jeroboam allowed, includes all kinds of weird sacrificial rituals. But most notably, it usually leads to even child sacrifice. And can you imagine Hosea preaching to God's people like, why do I even have to tell them this is wrong? Why would I even have to tell them that it's wrong to murder their children and offer their children? Why do I even have to tell them God's not into this at all? Like, it's, it's almost heartbreaking that you even have to say it out loud. See, when people tell me that all religions are basically the same, that just tells me they don't really know religion. They don't really know much about the basis that go underneath all this. See, God doesn't send a prophet when times are going well. He sends a prophet when there's so much moral depravity in the people that he just needs to wake them up and hopefully that they would repent and that they would return to him. So imagine you're Hosea, and God's got big plans for you. God's got big plans for you, and you're just waiting for your call. And when you get your assignment, like you're going to be so excited. Uh, you're called to be a prophet. That's like a holy man. You're, you're called to be God's mouthpiece. You're willing to speak for God, whatever God would give you. And the life of a prophet is not a normal life. Like, if you're Hosea, you might be wondering, is God going to ask me to call down fire upon the people or something like that? Or what about, what about maybe one day I'll have to make the real sacrifice and they're going to throw me in the lion's den. Or maybe that'll wait for a different prophet. Or did you know there was a prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah, and Isaiah at one point, God asked him to go naked in a desert for three years. That's called a holy sunburn. But, but again, that's not what Hosea was called to do. Even Jeremiah, and this, this one's really weird. At some point, God's like, the people aren't listening to anything you say. Jeremiah, this is what I want you to do. Go buy brand new underwear and don't wash it and don't take it off for like a year and a half. Can you imagine if you're Jeremiah and you're like, say what? <laughs> what? Yeah, you're going to be the dirty underwear prophet, dude. But Hosea, he didn't get any of that stuff. Those, those stories that make a prophet famous, that make his story well-known. Uh, in fact, no mountaintop experiences, no real miracles, no sunburnt nudity, none of the cool, funny stuff that we remember. Instead, God is going to use his life like a reality TV show. 
like keeping up with the Kardashians. Before there was ever keeping up with the Kardashians, there was watch the prophet's family. And God was going to use it like a reality TV show to get the people's attention. If you watch the prophet's family, you'll know what God is saying to you. You'll know what God is feeling. You'll know what God is up to and what he wants to do. And God told them what was going to happen. God told them, your prophecy is going to be to get married. Now, again, this won't make him famous like, like going into the belly of a whale or going into a, into a, a lion's den. Uh, but imagine this good news. So I don't have to do any of that stuff. You just want me to get married? Okay. And then God told him, yeah, and I've got the girl picked out as well. See, I think Hosea, when he got his call to ministry, I think there was a part of him that said, hey, look, I'm willing to keep myself pure. I'm willing to wait. And if God doesn't even want me to get married, I'm willing to do that too because I, I want to follow the Lord. I trust God, whatever God asks me to do. And to be honest, sometimes being a prophet is dangerous. Sometimes you say things and the rulers, the powers that be, they don't want you talking. A king like Jeroboam, he doesn't like getting called out. He doesn't like it at all. So it can be a pretty dangerous thing. But Hosea signed up for that. And so can you imagine when God tells him how he's going to prophesy, Hosea's walking around town, and maybe for the first time in his life, he's noticing all the beautiful women in town and wondering, which, which one is for me? I mean, as a prophet, he probably found himself trying not to look, to not be weird or anything like that, because he didn't know what God wanted for him. Which girl had God saved for me, he wondered to himself. And then one day, he notices the most beautiful girl in town, striking. And he kind of knows in his heart, that's the one. That's the one. He couldn't take his eyes off her. The only problem was, neither could the other guys in town. The other guys in town couldn't keep their eyes off her either, and they were whispering and they were laughing under their breath about her. And that's when he realized something. Oh, wait, she's a prostitute. Now, kids, if, if you don't know what that word means, if you don't know what a prostitute is, after church, just go ask Pastor Chuck. <laughs> he loves to talk about weird, awkward things. So just go ask him. Don't ask me. Just go ask Pastor Chuck. He'll be glad to explain everything that we're talking about. So imagine you're Hosea, and that's when the subwoofer booming voice of God says to you. It says to you, go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And you're Hosea. You avoided even the appearance of sin. If you saw a prostitute you left the scene because you didn't want anybody to assume anything. And now God's telling you, go marry one? Go marry one? Excuse me, Doc? God, what are you saying? Can you imagine the shock? Yeah, sure, she's pretty, but come on. I'm a prophet. But God continues, this one, Hosea. This one, Hosea. This one, Hosea. Uh, ever known exactly what God wanted you to do? But because you knew exactly what God wanted you to do and you didn't want to do it, you just got angrier and angrier? Ever known exactly what God wanted you to do? 
I, I can imagine that for Hosea, it just felt like a kick in the stomach. And sometimes that's exactly what it feels like for us too. God's calling you to do something hard, to do something brave, to give somebody forgiveness who doesn't deserve it. And it can feel like a kick in the stomach when you get betrayed or something like that. I mean, if, if I'm Hosea, he's thinking, if I ever get married, it'll be the Sunday school teacher of my dreams. And now God's asking me to do this. I mean, sure, she's beautiful, but her face is painted on with like an inch thick of cosmetics. She's got makeup all over, and her perfume, you can smell it a mile away. See, she knew how to get paying customers to pay attention. And so a prophet like him, his head would say no, but his heart probably said yes. I can imagine him saying, what's going on here, God? What's the big point? Well, this is the big point. God wanted him to prophesy using his life, not just his words. It's a big point. God wanted him to prophesy using his life, not just his words. And by the way, that's often true for most of us. Instead of us using all the words, doing all the talking to share our faith with people, to give our testimony, to share a reason for the hope that we have, a lot of times what God wants to use even more than our words is our life. It's our life. And, and, and I think that's how God works. Like, for example, let's say you have a good marriage, good family values, uh, you're working on your parenting skills. You have good financial responsibility. God wants to use that to show people how to live and, and to show them what God is like. But equally so, not just your prosperity, sometimes God even wants to use your life when you're suffering, when you're suffering, to show his love for his people. Like if you're going through a heartbreak or you're suffering physically or those times when you have just got nothing left but your faith, God's like, exactly. Because your testimony under suffering also gives just great credence to your faith in me. Prosperity and suffering are good object lessons that God often likes to use in our lives to share his love with his people especially in an unbelieving world. In an unbelieving world, they're often not going to trust your words, but they will watch your life. So you might ask, why does a faithful prophet have to marry an unfaithful prostitute? Well, equally so, why does God, who's always faithful, call and love people who are often so unfaithful to him? That's the story of the Old Testament, but if we're being honest, that's the story of our lives too. Why is God who's so faithful, who so loves us, who would do anything for us, why does he continue to call us back even when we're living in our sin, and we're living in our doubt? See, the Jewish people, he loved them even though they were broken. They had a lot of baggage, but he loved them anyways. And so just like God loves Israel, Hosea decided he was going to marry Gomer. Uh, if you watch TV during the 60s, you may remember the character Gomer Pyle. Exact same name, except very different character. G Gomer's the name of his wife. And I'm sure when he took her home, he probably cleaned her up, bought her new clothes, wanted to change her image, probably tried to hide her from the neighbors because, let's be frank, they were definitely talking behind her back. I mean, that would make her even feel worse. Um, 
He tried everything he could, my guess is, to protect her. But she was broken. She came from a lot of brokenness. This was going to be hard. And she knew from her experience that men could not be trusted. That men, you had to control them in some way because you could never trust men. She knew that, and I'm, I'm guessing that's why maybe she didn't trust Hosea. And so if a guy saw her and winked at her, she thought, why don't I just make a little money? Why don't I just use what I know so I can take care of myself? And Hosea, he didn't even catch on until he would look in his children's eyes. And he would realize, wait a minute, they don't even look like me. What's going on here? Uh, you, that feeling you get, like that kick in the stomach, when your stomach drops, it's like being on a roller coaster and you lose your stomach, or when somebody breaks up with you and it was unexpected, or like when you've been betrayed by a friend, that gut punch feeling that you get, that's what he felt when he looked at his kids. In fact, he even names one of his kids, not my people, the Hebrew word for not my people, because he realizes this kid's not even mine. And all the kids' names, they have, they have meaning in them for something Hosea is going through. And if we will, it's exactly what God is going through as well. I can imagine his friends telling him, Hosea, you need to leave her. But before he ever got the chance, Gomer left him. Chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I'm going to go after my lovers who give me my food and my water and my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. She's going back to the life she knew, the brothel, the brothel. See, I think when people say that all religions are basically the same, that just tells me they don't really know the heart of God. And if God wants to use Hosea and everything he's going through, the betrayal that's going here, God wants to use that so we can see God's heart. You see the love and the heart God has for you. That God wants you back. Um, look at how he talks to Israel as well. This is verse 13. In verse 13 it says, I'm going to punish Israel for the days that she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she forgot me. See, it's just like the story of Gomer. Everything God's going through is what Hosea's going through. Uh, the emotions he feels, God feels the emotions. If you see Hosea's heart, you see it breaking, then you see God's heart breaking. And in Hosea's case, as much as she had hurt him, for some reason, he still loved her. Maybe he could still smell her strong perfume. And I think what happens a lot of times is when you have a heart like God's, like Hosea was developing, your anger starts to turn to concern. You stop being mad that she left, and you start to worry what might be happening to her, or who's using her now. What can I possibly do to help her come back? And that's how God felt. That's verse 14, just after this. God says about his people, therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I'm going to lead Israel into the wilderness, and I'm going to speak tenderly to her. How is God going to woo Israel back? Not by giving her the, the, the nation like another lecture. God's going to speak 
tenderly to her. He's going to do whatever it takes to get his people back. He doesn't care if she's in a spiritual brothel. And that's what Hosea felt as well. I can imagine him thinking, what in her psyche led her back to prostitution? Why would that be the thing she would do? Is, did God know that this might happen to her? Did she really think that prostitution was the only way for her to take back her life? And that's when Hosea was given his second command by God. And that's in chapter 3. And the Lord says to him, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man, she's an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Now, you might be wondering, what about the raisin cakes? Don't worry, this has nothing to do with the cinnamon raisin bagel you ate this morning. You can eat cinnamon raisin bagels, you're not breaking like a commandment or something. Uh, really, what this is talking about is that Israel has turned to idolatry, and they also have a, a horrible love of wealth and greed. And so that's what it's referring to here. But even with all that sin, God loves his people. And he knows the only way that they're really going to understand is if Hosea goes and gets his wife back. If Hosea's willing to do this, then people might understand the heart that God has for each of them as well. Now, here's the problem. Not only was he going to have to go to the brothel and Hosea was going to have to wait in line with the other men, but he was going to need money, and he was going to need a lot of money, not just money for one-night stand. Hosea needed enough money so that he could buy her out of that brothel, out of the sex slavery that she's now stuck in. And so just after this verse, in verse 2, it says that Hosea went and he bought her for 15 shekels of silver. The problem is, that wasn't enough. So he also took a homer and a lethic of barley. He sold his food. Hosea didn't have enough money, so he sold his food. He sold his grain so that he could come up with the full amount, 30 pieces of silver. That's the cost to buy a slave. By the way, it's also the cost that Judas <laughs> sold out Jesus. When, when Judas betrayed him, he essentially sold Jesus like a slave. They paid a slave's ransom to get Jesus so they could persecute Jesus so that they could crucify Jesus. See, you can read a story like this and realize, oh, there's a lot of Jesus in a binge-worthy story like the book of Hosea. So what did Hosea say that made Gomer want to come back to him? Like, what convinced her to finally trust this man when he had never, she had never trusted men before? I mean, did he, did he write her some poetry? Was it just his persistence? Did he use romantic words? Did he sing her a song? To be honest, I think it was just forgiveness. Because when you have forgiveness, like God has forgiveness for us, that goes a long way in trust. Forgiveness, real forgiveness, divine forgiveness, doesn't bring up the past anymore. It, it, it lets that go, and it hopes for a new future. That's the kind of forgiveness, the only kind that really could save her, that, that could make her trust him again. 
And, and God says the same thing in, in chapter 14, what his heart really is for his people. He's saying, return Israel to the Lord your God. It's your sins that have been your downfall. It's your sins. See, the healing begins when we realize our problems are ultimately sin problems. And for it was Gomer's problem, it's our problem, both the sin that, that had broken her in the world, like the sin that's been done to her, we don't know all of it, but imagine if she had been abused, or imagine if she had been addicted to something, or imagine if she was born into poverty. Sometimes it's the sin that the world just does to us just because the world's broken. But it's also her personal sin. It's also the choices that she's made that are wrong. And the same happens to all of us as well. The simple choices that we make, as well as sometimes the circumstances that have just happened to us in life. And the solution for, for Gomer, the solution for all of us, it's always the same. It's the grace of God. When John, the disciple of Jesus, is trying to get this across to the early churches, those first churches that started, John wants to convince them that this ultimately is where our salvation comes from. And he says this in his epistle, 1 John chapter 4, he says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, real forgiveness is all about love. That's why it starts with love. The cross of Jesus is the ultimate expression of this love. It's divine love for the whole world, for the whole world. If you find yourself in a spiritual brothel like Gomer did again, this is what you need, that God is for you and not against you. That God wants you, that Jesus has given his life for you, that you are bought back at a price, uh, that you are his church, and he calls you the bride of Christ, and Jesus is the groom. See, sometimes, friends, I think it's the forgotten stories like this one that are the most binge-worthy. See, the movies we like to watch, we like to watch movies where we can feel what the actor's feeling, right? Like, we, we don't want them to just fall in love at first sight or something like that. No, we, we love the stories where there's some tension and, 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 and where, like, you kind of have to woo her back. It's, if you're a hopeless romantic, then I think a book like Hosea is for you. So whatever Hosea said to her or sang to her or whatever it was, just imagine that that's the, that's the heart that God has for all of you. God is a romantic. He's in love with you. And if you've been going through some stuff lately, uh, like a lost relationship, you're caught in a lifestyle, a sin that you can't forgive yourself for, or a mistake that no one else is forgetting, and you're hurting, or you feel lost, just picture this. God is like John Cusack in a rom-com in the 80s, with a boom box over his head, a jam box over his head, just trying to get you to come to the window. Now, kids, you might wonder what a jam box is. It's like a 20-pound iPod. And it plays these things called tapes. Now you're wondering, what, what are tapes? Well, tapes are what we had to use when we would run with our Sony Walkman because it's really hard to jog with a record player next to you. Um, but more on that a little bit later. Again, if you have any questions about the message, go see Pastor Chuck. He, he'll answer everything. 
But here's the point. God wants to woo you back. He's like Jerry Maguire saying, you complete me. He's like Romeo singing out to the balcony of Juliet with romantic words that she will come. God knows we watch these movies. God knows we love these stories. He knows how much we love to be in love. And he also knows how hard it is when we go through heartbreak. He knows what that feels like. And that's what the story of Hosea is. And he knows all this, and this is the kind of story in Scripture where God is just this hopeless romantic who wants to win his people back. And no amount of slavery can keep you from him. No amount of barriers can keep God from coming for you. When I like to think of what the Bible is, I'll tell people the Bible ultimately is a divine romance between God and man. The Bible, really, from the very beginning, uh, it starts right after creation. It starts with the marriage that goes well. But then there's heartbreak in that family. And the Bible ends with the marriage. Christ is the groom. And you, his church, you are his bride. And it's a divine wedding ceremony that happens. Every book between Genesis and Revelation is the way that God wants to regain what was lost in the Garden of Eden. Every book, it's all about God trying to regain what was lost with us. Now today, if you want to study a little bit more on Hosea, I have a book I want to recommend to you. All you have to do is let us know who you are this morning, especially all of you at home. We would, we would love to, to know who you are. Just text hello to this number because you're important to Messiah. We want to know you. But I'm going to send you a book recommendation. It's called Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. And it's a, a bit more of a modern retelling of the story of Hosea and his wife, Gomer, and everything that goes through. It's a great book. It's one that I'd like to recommend to you. So, so if you text here, we want to make sure that we send you that link. And one